What's going on, guys? Thanks for checking out another Eastern Current episode. Excited about today's uh, episode. We got a great guest. Before we jump into it, I want to just let y'all know about our Patreon account. Uh, if you really like this podcast, go check it out. Uh, you can help. You can donate monthly, uh, and it really helps us out. Uh, pay for the back end stuff, and then make a little bit of money off this podcast. Uh, I said once I reached 25 patrons, I was going to start doing some uh, some extra content on there. And so what I'm doing now is every guide trip, I'm just doing a voice memo on my phone when I get back in my truck, talking about the conditions, kind of how it played out, what kind of stuff I ended up using, what worked, what didn't work. So you are getting like a day-to-day update of, of uh, you know, my fishing and, and, and what I'm using on the water that, that's productive for me. So uh, go check that out. Also go check out Eastern Current Fishing on Facebook. Uh, it's just a good place for all of y'all that like to listen to the podcast to come together and, uh, and to talk about fishing. So uh, without me rambling too much longer, I want to bring on our guest, Brett Barley. What's going on, man? How you doing? Oh, doing all right. I'm glad we're getting this done. We've talked about it for a little while, but uh, excited know, about this It's been one. a good while. I remember before I even talked to you about it, like three podcasts in, I was like, I want to bring on Brett Barley and talk about jet ski fishing, <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. which isn't going to be our main focus today, but but I think that's a, something we definitely need to touch on. Yeah, I've kind of, I've touched on like every aspect of fishing. I haven't done much offshore stuff, um, but I've like, you know, stuck my finger into everything just as I've like began learning fishing and saltwater and whatnot. Yeah. So just trial and error. And when I got a ski fishing off, it was, (laughs) that was like, as soon as I used it, I think I'd only had it two months. I was like, oh my gosh, I can use this to get to fish. (laughs) That's super cool. Well, before we dive too much into, I want to just get a broad overview of what you do fishing wise up there as well as kind of dive into what you do you know for a living which is really cool uh, but tell me kind of your backstory because you grew up on the Outer Banks right kind of tell me about that and how you got into fishing and, and and all that good stuff so the irony is that I grew up here in Cape Hatteras fishing Mecca and I didn't even start saltwater fishing until like full-time like into it until I was 22 going on 23 actually and that's because Growing up, I was just so heavy into surf. Like I surf professionally, like that's my career. And when I was little, that was like all I wanted to do. And then as I got older, I just got, it was like either surfing or playing video games. (laughs) And my idea of saltwater fishing, I did do some bass fishing, but my idea of saltwater fishing was going, putting out bait, catching skates, catching sharks, not into it. Right, Because my dad, my dad would only take me when he could because he worked like two jobs Mm -hmm. and so we didn't go when it was good we just went when we could make it happen right so I grew up with like this bad connotation of like what saltwater fishing was and I was just like a little ignorant kid like oh that's whatever and then as I got older it's funny even on my Facebook account there's like this old photo that pops up now and then from when we were surfing out at the point and I posted a photo of this guy landing like a big drum and I was like yeah the fishing's pretty good here too and that was like (laughs) oh like I knew it was good, but I just right. didn't do it. And then when I was 22, I went offshore for the first time and we, we just bailed dolphin like little bailers. And I was like, this is insane. <laughs> this is right and in my like, backyard. <laughs> yeah. And a few days later, I had just gotten my jet ski that year. And a few days later, we took my ski and went out. There was an island off Cape Point, a big sandbar. Huh. We took my ski out to it and caught like chopper blues all afternoon. Like I, I literally went in my dad's shed. He had all this old gear from like the 80s and 90s. Just grabbed tackle boxes and we bolted out there knowing nothing. Like tying sting silver straight to like 12 pound mono losing probably like $100 in lures because I didn't <laughs> even have a clue. It was just all this old gear my dad had. You're like, God, why do these and, uh, fish keep breaking us off? Yeah. And, um, I mean, big, like solid bluefish. Yeah. And so between those two things, I was just like, this is, this is fishing. Like, this is insane. How have I not done this my whole life? Right. And the addiction began and it has just grown ever since. Man, it's such a, it's such a great escape for, it doesn't matter what, cause you, I mean, you have, you know, a lot of people's dream career. Like you think, oh, I could just focus on surfing all the time and and you know that would be enough, but it's it's fun to have you know some hobbies outside of your your main hobbies even, um, and, For sure. and you see people with that have normal you know day jobs too, and it's it's just such a great uh, it's such a great outlet for people to to get outdoors and to experience something that and it's funny I bet there's so many people just like you in, in areas that have great saltwater fishing that you know they don't even realize they love it because they've never had the right experience to get them into it, which is yep. pretty sad honestly. It's kind of a bummer. <laughs> But um, I mean, I I think I can remember actually like, not bashing, but like, my friends I did, my friends in high school that did have dads who were like charter captains and stuff that 
either went offshore or just like spent their whole life on the sound or whatever. I remember definitely like down talking saltwater fishing just because like I had no idea. Because again, I like related it to sharks and skates and whatever. Right. And yeah, now I look back and I'm just like, wow, like what, where would I be at least in fishing now? And like how dialed would I have this place? But not only that, if I had started younger and that love been there, like I would probably, I definitely wouldn't have spent like years of my life just sitting on the couch playing Halo. <laughs> right. Yeah, when the surf's flat, just sitting there playing Halo. And so when you could, yeah. could be fishing, that's crazy. Yeah, so well, I definitely am not going to let my kids make that same mistake. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I love seeing your, your posts, getting the whole family out and going and catching trout and redfish. Man, it's super cool. I got a kid due June 24th, first first uh, first baby. It's a, it's a boy, and I'm just so stoked to get him out on the water. Um, he could come, you know, tomorrow. He could come on June 24th. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. He could come during this podcast. So if I got to go, I apologize. Um, <laughs> but uh, well, let's talk a little bit about um, the fishing that you like to do up there um, in the Outer Banks. I mean, there's so many options. People don't realize how diverse that area really is because, um, you know, it sticks so far out in the ocean. But you've also got this huge sound. So kind of take me through like, all right, if you've got a really pretty day, there's no waves. You're going to go fish. What do you like to go do? If... It's so hard. Like in the summertime, it's honestly hard. Um, my jet ski's been broke the last two years, so it's kind of been a little simpler. I've just any pretty day, I'm focused in the summer. Any pretty day in the summer, because the ocean fishing in the summer slows down, at least near shore. Like you can get blues and Spanish and stuff, which is fun, but really what I love doing is going out in the sound and sight fishing drum. Yeah. Red drum, uh, speckled trout, and. I, it's taken so much trial and error because the sound is like the thing that's so hard about the Pamica sound is like the whole body of water is almost the same. Yeah. It's like three to four feet deep for miles and there's just miles of grass flats. And, uh, I started out just taking my canoe and whenever it was calm enough that I could go in the canoe, I would paddle up and down the shore, like out, <laughs> like wherever and, uh, take my family out in that and just try and find fish and, um, I've done some exploring and like drug it hundreds of yards through the marsh. I would take like a rope and wrap it over my shoulders and just walk <laughs> through to get to spots that like when I look at on Google Earth, I'm like, oh, people probably don't fish that much. And uh, nowadays I have a John boat and so I can just run to those spots. And I specifically wanted a John boat. Last year I invested in it. It was like my first like fun purchase really of my life. Everything else I've bought was like I needed it. Like a, if it's a car, whatever, it was business related. This was like the first time I was like, I want this to be able to raise my kids up on the water right? without having, like we were out growing the canoe. Like my daughter <laughs> is five now, my son's about to be eight. And last year, the first time we took it out, I was like, uh, this is gonna be a pretty long summer. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was just, we were like pushing that weight barrier. right? And so yeah, whether it was the canoe then or the John boat now, if it's slick, I just wanna be out there looking for some clear water, finding some drums, swimming in the flats. And last year we had one of our like worst years of puppy drum fishing. I remember and you saying that. Yeah, it just, they were like nowhere. I mean, even the charter guys who've done this their whole lives were like gone. Wow. So they just, we had really good speckle trout fishing. So everyone focused to that, but there was like zero drum until last fall, they just popped up everywhere. And now it's like kind of hard to go and not find them. Wow, and cool. so it's it's gonna be a good summer but uh yeah i mean that's that's the thing but like if you have the means to like go in the ocean you know right now the kobe are going through but in the sound the drum are thick and the trout and it's like when it's nice here you're like where where, where do, do i go, go? <laughs> yeah that's super cool especially because like we have so much wind so those days that it's like calm and pretty are kind of rare that you're really torn on what you want to do yeah at least i am yeah uh, let me ask you this. When you're targeting those redfish in the sound and you're, you say you're, you're sight fishing for them, or even if you're not sight fishing for them, um, wh what do you look for? Are you fishing up against the bank? Or are, you, are you targeting just those grass flats out in open water? Uh, what kind of keys you in on a good spot for drone there? Through, at least here, through a lot of trial and error, I have not found them up canals. It's very rare to find them up any of the canals and creeks and stuff there along the sound side. Um, so what I look for is grass flats. I'll do like Google Earth recon, yeah, and then I'll do like actual recon because even like uh, this spot that I found last year that I was catching all the trout in that was like loaded with grass, epic structure. 
since I've been back this spring, there's like zero grass. Wow. Like it all died throughout the winter. It is kind of coming back now that things are warming up, but mm-hmm. there's there hasn't been fish there because there was no structure like there was. Um, the drum, I feel like the grass flats where the drum go are kind of like almost timeless. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm still learning because like I said, I mean, the sound is just such a big body of water. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we got 70 miles of coastline to launch on and I, it's more dependent on what the wind is but uh yeah i like you know a good like two foot deep or so grass flat or even less um next to some sort of drop off or pocket gotcha. uh, some of the some of those canals where they like have an outlet and then a grass flat around them to me like that's a good first spot to look and then from there i'll head further out because um even here like once you go I think it's like two miles offshore out into the sound we have what's called like the reef yeah and it goes up to like almost completely dry and on one side on the deep like sound side it drops off into the deep and that's all sandy and then on the inshore side it's all grass and so it's a huge area to cover and i just started tapping into it last year and learning it um and i'll probably be learning it the rest of my <laughs> life but uh yeah i mean anywhere where you have those shallow flats that has somewhere near them for the fish to like drop off to ambush or come up and eat or whatever. And uh, yeah, it was funny. The other day, actually, we found one canal. There was no trout. And then on the grass flat, there was drum everywhere. And I went like a mile up the way to another one and there was no drum on the grass flat, but then it was loaded with trout on the inside. (laughs) They were in two totally different spots. That's funny. uh, What's cool about that, man, is that you hear that trend like play true in, in so many different flats fish where, you know, those fish, they want somewhere shallow with grass or structure to get up and, and hunt, but then they don't want to be far at all from, from deep water that they can sneak into. Um, so, yeah, if, if, if you can find those grass flats, even even down here in some of our big bay systems, um, same deal. You have a lot of really shallow water, but you find that little difference where there's like a ditch or something else or, some, you know, yeah. that's where those fish are going to be. Um, so when you're looking at Google Earth, can you can you key in on those grass flats pretty easily? Is that something that that you can kind of uh, you can find without much trouble, or, or are you really kind of having to zoom in and look at color change and all that? Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll look. Um, they pop up pretty good. Uh, I'll look on all the. I feel like it's like Google Earth and IMAPS have totally different uh, images. I right. don't know why, but they're like taken different times of the year, maybe with different equipment. I don't know. Um, so sometimes if I look at zoom in on one and I don't have a good image or then I'll revert to like the other set of maps and see if there's a better image or sometimes I'll zoom in and like, Oh, there's no grass. So I'll look at the other one to see if in that shot there is grass. Cause you know, that changes. Right. Um, but yeah, for the most part on Google earth, like it's hard to tell the difference between like two foot and four foot. Mm -hmm. You could look at a spot and be like, oh, this looks amazing. Then you get there and it's deeper than you thought. Right. Um, Especially here in the sound because like so much of it just like gradually slopes. Um, It's not like you're loaded with like specific like, oh, it's sandy everywhere. And then here's a grass flat. It's almost all grass in the summertime. Um, So trying to distinguish those spots that like really hone fish in compared to other spots. Um, I don't know. It's kind of more like I pick spots and then basically just I'll run and do recon. Like I'll just literally get in my boat and just drive and see where it's shallower, see where it's deeper. There's even a bunch of spots I ran through yesterday morning that in my mind I've been avoiding because I'm like, oh, that you know, you see on like a 10 mile an hour day, it's like slick calm right there. And you're like, okay, that's super shallow. Like I don't right. want to get bottom, bottomed out. And uh, I ran through there yesterday because there was like a little more wind and tide. And I was like, oh, this is all a lot, like, this is all four feet. And it, I don't know if it, the times before it looked calmer, like maybe there was just tall grass there. But when I looked on Google Earth and when I saw it with my eyes all last fall, they looked like, you know, spots I wanted to avoid. But right. then running through now, I don't know why, but it was way deeper than I thought. And so that's cool. just, a, just a lot of trial and error. I mean, that's how I've learned to do basically all of my fishing is like, Oh, I want, I want to do this, whether it was like drum or cobia or mahi off my jet ski. It's like, okay, I'm going to like take these couple lures and like watch some YouTube videos <laughs> and then just go give it a shot and see, see what happens. 
Um, so it's kind of the same thing. And I mean, if you put in enough time, just scouting spots, you know, blind casting spots and moving on. And like, I like to do a lot of like kind of just speed fishing, which isn't always like super productive. But then when you find a spot that they're holed up, you're like, oh, well, this yeah. spot's loaded. Then you can like go back and like kind of figure out a pattern to like what the wind was, temperature, all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. That's that's something I share with people all the time. It's like, don't get too hung up in an area. You know, work really quickly. Use something that you can cover water quickly with. And if you get a fish, slow down and pick that area apart. But don't pick yeah. every little thing apart. You know, look for that aggressive bite as you're working through an area. Um, that's cool. So what what kind of lures, when you're when you're doing that inshore red fishing, what do you like to throw? Um, mostly like, like an eighth to like a quarter ounce jig head. Okay. And then like whatever kind, um, I like kind of like the boxing glove style or like the ball head where yeah. you're not going to pick up as much grass. Any of the ones that have like a pointed head on them, you're getting so much grass. Uh, and then honestly, like the Z-Man root beer with the chartreuse tail is oh, like classic. my go-to, grab, the paddle tail. Like yeah. I, I love it, especially cause the water here isn't always super clear, but I mean, I've had redfish pounce on it constantly and like gin clear water on like in the foot of water with sandy bottom like to where it doesn't really look that natural <laughs> right right and um i don't know there's i feel like it's the best of both worlds you got the dark color and the light uh-huh. um so that's like kind of my go-to sweet i like it the paddle tail is great man it, it was not long ago for myself that i realized wait a second you can just straight retrieve the paddle tail and do nothing <laughs> and catch fish like i was always kind of like jigging it a lot and Honestly, there's some days where just straight retrieving a paddle tail has worked better than anything for me. Man, the other day with my family, the day that we found the drum and the trout, uh, we were just like cruising up in real slow on the trolling motor. And I was like casting up along the edge and like trying to find something. And my son just casts out and he loves, I don't know why, but he loves the idea of trolling. <laughs> so he's trolling like a popping cork with a paddle tail on it. And I'm like casting, like working the edge and then boom, he hooks up and I'm like, I literally just like we ran over that spot and I just cast it there. And so he lands a nice size trout, like 17 inches. And we go up in the, in the canal a little bit, blind cast around and on the way out, I'm doing the same thing. He's trolling again, catches another one. <laughs> and I'm like, what in the world? So then we circle back around and we like ease up. I'm like, all right, they're in this. They kept hitting in the same spot. I was like, they're in this one spot. Let's fish it. And so we're all casting like slow retrieve, jigging, popping cork, everything caught one and then we started trolling again and caught two i was like that's nuts i don't know if maybe it was like the long like trolling you're obviously covering that whole body of water and so maybe it was like they were getting to follow it long enough they'd finally go yeah compared to like casting and retrieving you're only doing like a certain distance that would have to be what it is because that would really be the only difference like they just wanted to follow it a little bit further maybe they were getting up to the boat not eating it I've heard that too from buddies that, that'll, you know, especially we've got the new river here, which fishes a lot like some of the tributaries, of the Pamlico sound, um, like the noose river and Bay river and all that. Um, but I've talked to buddies that fish up there a lot more than I do. And they'll say they have fancy side scan on their boat and so they can like see fish like they know that yeah. they're there and they'll sit there and fish it like crazy with jigs and all kinds of stuff. And then go troll like hard baits through it or paddle tails and catch <laughs> fish and they weren't catching them or yeah. casting. So it's a thing. I don't know why it works better, but. Uh, it's a thing for sure. Um, well, sweet. Well, let's, uh, I'm trying to think, is there anything else in the sound that we need to touch on? I mean, there, we could, we could do so many different episodes about your well, fishery. The one but... thing that, the one thing I've learned and that's what like is my favorite thing in drum fishing is when you can find them up super shallow. Yeah. And I feel like that's something I see even down your way, South Carolina, especially in Florida is like, finding those drum like up in the mud and around here i mean i've talked to tons of guys because like like i said like i got into drum fishing i yeah. watched all these videos all these accounts i'm like oh this is insane i'll like talk to guys around here they're like yeah it just it doesn't happen and after looking up all those canals and like find like trying so hard and i was like okay it doesn't happen here three years ago i found a situation where it was i was finding you know nice like 21 to 23 24 inch drum in like this much water that's awesome just crawl like crawling and for probably like five weeks when i could go there like when it wasn't too windy or whatever i'd take the canoe and paddle up there and sure enough they were there and it was like 
that's like the ultimate to me because then it's like it's almost like hunting you're like oh, stalking yeah. them because because you can't move but so fast because you'll startle them but if you don't move fast enough like you won't ever catch up to them and uh the thing i think i learned the most is like they love it seems like they go the shallowest whenever like for us at least along like Rodanthe to Buxton area, you have like an east wind and then they'll swim up in to the shallows. I don't know if they're like smelling all the bait that's in the channels and coming out. Cause I feel like most of the time around here, whether it's in the ocean or the sound guys, like if you're going to target like big drum or bait fish or whatever, you find an edge that has an onshore flow and the fish are coming with the wind. Gotcha. But then in the puppy drum scenario, at least up in the shallows, I've only really found them when it's like an east wind. So like that, the complete opposite. And yeah. um, I don't know. It's almost like in deeper water, they follow the wind. And then like to go up in the shallows, they swim into the wind. And uh, I don't know. That's at least what I've noticed so far is like if you can get that, you know, a canal or something that's got loaded with bait and you have the like an offshore shoreside offshore wind yeah for them to maybe they smell the bait and then follow it up into the canal yeah i'm not sure but that would make sense is the water rising in that scenario is like would an east wind push more water in so no it, it, push it, it pushes it out pushes it out okay okay yeah it get like it gets shallower and wow. then that's when they're in there but at the same time it was happening in areas where like outside of where they were up shallow was like just the perfect like two to three foot deep grass flat where they were basically like living. And then it was almost like singles were going up yeah, into yeah. the wind, hunting out bait and stuff. That's um, I haven't found them doing that since 2018. I didn't find them doing it. 2019. I didn't hardly find a fish. So, but the drum fishing was kind of bad in general. I think from the freeze we had in 2018. Right. So right. That's we'll uh, see this year. I haven't been to that. Super cool, though. I, I think, I mean, Golly, it's like those fish are the same fish no matter where they are. They're going to do the same things, you know. I mean, granted, it, it. I guess it depends on the topography and the layout of like what kind of marsh you're fishing. But uh, I mean, Louisiana is so much like, um, so much like the or the marsh I fish there's so much like the Pamlico Sound as far as you know. It's really just wind-based tide. Uh, the bottom's pretty similar. Lots of just long stretches of the same depth. And same yeah. deal is like those fish seem to go shallower there when that water's dropping. They'll push up in the oysters, and, may, may, and maybe it's because it's huh. pulling pulling stuff that's you know normally out of their reach to their reach. Right. Like they've got to they've got to reach just a little bit further. But like here, for me, you know the the times where I see the fish belly crawling and tailing at, at low tide is right when it switches and starts coming in. So that water's pushing in. I think maybe it gives them some confidence that they're not going to get stuck. Just like if you were exploring some new creek on your boat, you, you'd be probably a little more you know, adventurous if the tide was coming yeah, behind yeah. you as opposed to, sure. <laughs> to dropping out. So, uh, well, that's super cool. Do you ever see, or is it a thing that you can do? Like, can you go out and target big bull redfish sight fishing them in the sound on the, oh, on the reefs and the, the sandbars like, and stuff? Uh, I haven't found them by, uh, I found them once on my ski. Uh, I haven't found them in the John boat yet. They're, it's like you got to be putting in like a full day of just looking for them. Like yeah. some of the char shore charter guys, that's like what they'll do certain times of the year when the fish are, you know, they're just moving in like schools of two to 500 fish. And, you know, in the sound, if you got clear water day and good conditions, you're going to see them from like a half mile away. Yeah. Just, you know, if they swim up into four feet of water, they light up like a pumpkin patch. I mean, right, they're just right. so bright. And so... Um, the thing is those schools are constantly moving from like deep to shallow. So it's like, you got to get on them, but then they'll spook from the motor. So like, it's, it's not like in the ocean and the ocean, I mean, they'll still spook in the ocean, but the ocean's so much deeper. Like when they're on top there and you find them, it's a little easier to keep on them. Whereas in the sound, they can like disappear. They drop off into 15 feet and you all know which way they went. Right. And they're constantly covered ground. Whereas in the ocean, a lot of times they're kind of hanging in like a general area, at least like through the afternoon or the morning. Um, so you can stay on them a little easier, but that's like a, a huge thing around here from whether it's out of Oregon Inlet or out of Hatteras is the inshore guys, like I said, just depending conditions. And when someone finds them, like, you know, they let each other know and kind of corral them. It's pretty cool. That's super cool. Uh, 
Um, do you ever see singles and whatnot? Like, do people see that on a regular basis, just single fish cruising along, you know, shallow edges, or are they usually always schooled up? Um, I have. You have? Uh, I have twice. I have twice, both times in my canoe, and uh, the one time I took the canoe, I was blowing like fifteen. And if you've <laughs> ever been in a canoe when there's wind, like. <laughs> It's over. Right. And I was getting blown with the wind. I was like, all right, I'm going to just drift and try and spot stuff. And as I'm drifting just to the left where like, like kind of where the water dropped off a little, I saw a big one go by me heading the complete opposite direction. I like grabbed a rod and just blind pitched back. And he was gone. Like he was just below the surface. Enough. Uh-huh. I was just dirty and I barely saw him. And by the time I could get my stuff, you know, we're probably 25 feet apart. I make a cast, didn't get him. And then I'm, I'm gone. <laughs> and so is he. And then another time, uh, I'd taken a buddy out there and I'm just like pushing along, like standing up on the canoe, like kind of using my paddles, like push pull. I'm like eyeing up this canal to see if I see anything up in there. Yeah. And then I just look in front of me and like 12 feet off the bow is like a 40 inch, super old. Like, you know, I feel like when they get older, um, they get real silver yeah. even when they're in the sound and it, I mean it could have just been too that the water had been clear or whatever but uh-huh. he was like right there and I just slowly reached for my rod and he took off and I was like no and <laughs> so I it's going to happen for you eventually it sounds yeah, like it'll happen hopefully but uh, it is a thing but a lot of guys there's not really like a t- most of the people like patrol on the shoreline along the island or in kayaks and a lot of them are just, you know, blind casting popping corks or targeting trout or, or whatever. And most of the charter guys are kind of like at either end of the island, either up towards Oregon Inlet or down towards Hatteras. There's not really much that goes on in between. Uh, I mean, there is, but it's not as many guys on it. And there's definitely not as many people to talk about it. Yeah, for um, sure. And there's not as many, there's not as many ramps. Like there's no public ramp from Rodant, like, not like what you would think of like a marina or whatever for right, right. to Frisco. Yeah. So kind of there's an area that like not many people go to. And that was why when I got the John boat, that was part of why I wanted that was to be able to launch anywhere and go explore all these places that, you know, I, I could like, could have got like a tiny little skiff and been able to go join the parties wherever, but I wanted to do my own thing and figure out myself and like figure out my own little holes. Right. So for sure. I've been doing that's super cool. It gets my wheels turning. I'm like, God, I want to spend, I'd love to come up there and spend like three weeks when those big fish are in the sound with the polling skiff and just look for them on the, I mean, they got it. I don't know. It's, and I've heard stories and whatnot and I don't know. And then there's the tarpon thing up there and laid up tarpon. I've heard stories of laid up tarpon on, you know, mostly on the other side of the sound, but. Uh, yeah, that's mostly on the opposite side. It, uh, they kind of, during Cobia season, you'll see them migrating on the ocean side, but I don't know why they guys would catch them off the piers with like the live pinfish rigs and stuff. Yeah, I don't I don't know how that worked. And then like my friends who charter fish have thrown like live croakers and live pinfish and live mullet at them. They won't eat. Yeah, so I'm like it's the same thing, but it, it is. Know. It is for it's, some uh, reason they're they're just like migrating. They have a task and yeah, feeding's not they're, on they're the, cruising. Yeah, yeah. feeding's not a thing. That's uh yeah, those fish are so frustrating. They've burned so many of my beautiful days up here in North Carolina. <laughs> like I should have been doing something else and I go spend eight hours chase trying to figure out tarp and I'm, I, I usually end up pretty defeated. But well let's let's talk about the ocean fishing that you've done and um we'll talk about let's talk about kayak fishing first and we'll talk about kind of what the sea allows you to do. But um go into kind of the you know, targeting cobia and redfish on the kayak and what, what that looks like for you um there in the Outer Banks. Well, it's, it's like evolved. Like this year I dove in super hardcore. I mean, my kayak was on my truck more days than it wasn't, even if I wasn't fishing, just so that like if the skies parted and if the wind fell out and I heard of something, I was out there. And uh, really it started, I guess, two years ago. Like I caught my first cobia off of it. Uh, there was like a bite going on off Avon which was too far for me to run my ski at the time, like to get on it. Like daylight, I heard it was happening like midday. There wasn't enough time to like go launch and drive her up there. Right. And so I took the kayak. I also had limited time. It was like some, I had something I had to do, but so I grabbed the kayak, bolted up there, beach launched it, went out and saw a few, found a turtle 
and pulled like a, I don't know, like a 30 pounder off it. Nice. That's awesome. Landed in the kayak and was like, whoa, I can access these fish like so fast. Like I didn't have to put in like the early hours of like getting the ski ready or, or whatever. Like I don't have a boat. So right. that's my only access to the ocean. But, um, I caught some drum in the sound with my son on the kayak that like a week or a month before. And that was like my first real kayak mission. And so then I went straight from that to Cobia. <laughs> That's awesome. And I, I had caught Cobia before off my ski, which is, it's not the same. You definitely have more room for air on a jet ski. Mm-hmm. And like when I would gaff them, I'd stand on the, on the gunnels on the opposite side so that like they couldn't, you know, if I gaffed them and brought them up into the footwells, like, it wasn't going to tear me apart. It would tear the seat up, but not me. Right. Whereas with the ski, I mean, with the kayak, you got to make sure they're tired and they're like ready to roll over. So like what I, I mean, I fish lighter gear. A lot of guys use like 50, 60 pound braid and like all this heavier tackle, like horse them in, throw them in the boat and be done. So you don't lose them. Yeah. On the ski and especially in the kayak, you almost, you almost, I light tackle fishing with like 30 pound that way they can they have more time running and wearing themselves out so that you're not ever bringing them to the boat green yeah that's um, smart. even what I, what I learned to do on the ski because i gaffed one green one one time because it kept coming up i'm like all right if i keep doing this it's, i'm gonna lose it and i tried to gaff it and it was so green and spun off the gaff <laughs> wrapped on the leader snapped it off i was like oh all right i gotta figure out a different way right so i what i do in the ski is i'd hook it and if it came to it i'd just gas away and, and run give myself some distance and keep fighting it until it was like worn out, ready to flip over. And so in the kayak, at least they're pulling you around and the same thing with the drum, it wears them out. By the time you bring them up, they just, you know, they they're roll over like a dog. Yeah, they're done. And so you gotta, you gotta be safe about it. Um, you definitely don't want to like try and grab, you know, put your hand up the gills of a big drum and pull it in your lap when that thing is like ready to roll. And especially a cobia, cause that thing will tear you up. So you gotta be patient and be okay with like, you know, I'm fishing safe. I might lose this fish. I mean, a drum, you're not really going to pull off, but a cobia, you easily could. And, um, yeah, I mean, I just realized I could do it. And especially this year, just got on it more and more. Like last year I went out on a day that was like a little more choppy and bigger than I felt comfortable. And I, I got out there, I was like, Oh, this isn't so bad. And so it was like easing into like, what conditions I could go in. And once I realized like, oh, I can go out and miss, then it opened up all these other days that I could go. Whereas previous years I was like, oh no, that's way too gnarly. Like I'm not gonna go. And so I'd only go if it was pretty, which for us is like rare. <laughs> so <laughs> it's all about just like doing what's comfortable and also being smart about it. Like I have a couple buddies who are maybe like a little more gung ho and just like, I'm going cause they're there and they've like lost gear and stuff like that. Like flipping the kayak and whatever. So. Right. You know, it, they're fish. It's not worth losing all that stuff or no. putting yourself in danger. And Definitely. especially the drum is like finding the school is is the crazy part. Like once you find them, it's almost like cheating. And so I just enjoy like once I get one, I just want to like watch them swim around. And uh, it's like being in a big aquarium. Yeah. <laughs> it wears like even with the ski. I don't know what it is. Maybe because you're standing up higher and moving around like spooks them, but. I never had fish like just cruise with me. Whereas in the kayak, it's like you're just immersed in them and, and it's like you're not even there. It's such a different feeling than being in a boat where they'll kind of peace out. Yeah, definitely. That's uh, well, that just brings us into that video that you just posted not too long ago. Of like, you will see, like, my experience as a big schools of bull redfish has mostly been in Louisiana. Um, and so I'm in a small skiff, and, and when they're really fired up, they don't care a ton about the boat. But they'll still they'll still be nervous and they'll still spook on the boat. Um, but that video of you and the other videos I've seen of guys like on top of those big schools and kayaks blows my mind that like the fish have no care in the world. So ex- let, tell, kind of break down that story, break down that day for us of uh, that epic video. And afterwards, tell people where they can go watch it because everybody needs to see that. <laughs> um, so that what's ironic is like that was like the opening day of drum fishing like as far as boats and stuff here on uh-huh. the island um they kind of showed up 
they typically show up sometime in March, early April. It depends on whatever the water is. I mean, our water temple hang around the 50s there on the south side of the island. And then all of a sudden, one south blow, and we get that warm water, and it's like 63, 65 overnight. And that day coming up looked good, but I had like, what's funny was I had editing and all this stuff I, was, I needed to do, and I was like, maybe I'll go poke around midday, but like, I might just wait until I know that they're thick. And then the night before that, the beach bite went off. And so I'm like, all right, they're in the area for sure. Yeah. And I woke up the next morning. It was way less windy than forecasted. It was gorgeous. There was supposed to be wind and clouds. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I should probably go. But I was like trying to be responsible. Like, no, I need to get this edit out tomorrow. Like, I'm going to just work on that. Like, maybe I'll go during a lunch break or something. And one of my buddies, Tilford Smith from up in Nags Head, called me. He's like, hey, I'm bringing my boat down. I'm going to go drum fishing. Do you want to go? I was like, dude, I can't. Like, I got to do this stuff. I was like, I was kind of thinking of taking the kayak out later. He's like, look, I'll go out. When I find him, I'll call you. And I was like, well, okay. I'll yeah, that's the that. best deal right there. You can work until yeah. you know exactly where to go. Exactly. <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? I'm going to like get, I needed to put a new line on one of my reels. And I was like, I'm gonna, I'll get my stuff ready. And then when he, I'll work. And when he calls me, I'll go. And I was getting my stuff together. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to go. It's gorgeous. <laughs> like, it, it's been nasty. Like, they're probably there's a good chance I'll find him. And, uh, his, his, uh, he went to launch and his motor broke down. Oh gosh. Which I was so bummed. Cause then I'm, I like felt guilty. Cause like he was the one that really got me fired up on it. And anyway, I went to launch just in like an easy spot. And as I pulled in the water, I had seen some birds diving and, it, and in hindsight, I was filming with my Sony the birds diving and when I went to edit the footage I realized you could see the drum busting on the surface they were just far enough out I couldn't tell gotcha and uh so anyway I went to launch and I like my kayak hits the water and I look up and they just raise up like a couple hundred yards out it was like a football field <laughs> wide and I'm like okay like I had a popping cork on or not popping cork I had a popper on and I was like is this really going to happen? I just let the camera keep rolling. I paddled straight out to them and they were just going nuts on the Minhaden. You know, through the popper, hooked up. And then I don't like, you know, one, typically once you hook them, especially if you're not in a boat, I mean, even if you are in a boat, the fish likes to stay with the school. So then when you're in a kayak and the fish keeps swimming with the school, you're just like in the school. Like you never get pulled out of it because the fish wants to be with wow. the other fish. I've never even thought about that, but that's awesome. That, that's so convenient. Yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll feel it like when you're – a lot of times when those big schools, like say they're they're deep underwater and you can't necessarily see them, but you see the mud they're throwing up. Mm -hmm. When you hook up, you'll feel your line just like getting hit by all the other fish. Wow. And when that stops, then you know that you've like pulled your fish out of the school at some point. But as long as you keep feeling that, you're like on them. And uh, if once you land it, all you got to do is drop back down and you're on again. <laughs> That's, but, that's um, super yeah, convenient. they just, they rose up and I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the color of my kayak it looked like a big drum, I don't, whatever, but they boiled up under me. And I honestly had a moment where I got kind of fearful where I'm like hooked up and they're like almost raising the back end of my um, kayak up. I'm like, could I, could I flip over right now? Like if one of them just slammed me from the side and the fish pulled, like could, and anyway, they just did that for a minute and then kind of dispersed and kept feeding. And it was so rad. And after That's I landed cool. that one, I, I paddled back into them like two or three times and just watched them and like filmed it with my phone and was just enjoying it. I was like, it was so on. I was like, this is, there was no one out there either. I was by myself because like it hadn't happened yet. So like no one knew. And at the same time, like had it been a normal season, had it not been for COVID-19 and like, the charter businesses were running and stuff guys would have been out there but because of that no one had charters going yeah so no one was wasting money on gas and so i was just out there alone and uh it did actually i called a friend i was who'd never caught one before i was like you got to get out here and by the time he got out there they had gone down and i think there was so many fish everywhere the whole water for like a mile and a half everywhere was just muddied up like honestly i guess there was probably like a thousand fish in the area and even like a, a week later when matt lusk was down and came out in his kayak he was saying the same thing as many 
as much of the area was muddied up and as many schools like guys were hooking up over there and over here and like there had to have just been like an enormous amount of fish it was just all of them waiting to move in together that's crazy yeah yeah and it seemed like i don't know i mean it just had was like the perfect storm of like they hadn't been here yet they just came in like the weather got nice they started feeding and they just went off and I actually got to kind of experience that last year. I went out, um, it was the first one I'd ever caught in the kayak. I went out last April, like the first day all the charter guys got on them. I went out that evening, everyone had gone in, it was like four Mm o'clock, and I found the school, and they were blowing up on the surface just the same, but I had a a GoPro Hero 7, which was like only filming like this back portion of my shoulders, and like they're all blowing up into the sunset next to me, but the camera didn't catch it, but it was like, birds diving like fish everywhere there was like big sharks chasing the reds too like that's so cool. it was yeah that's why you don't want to fall yeah. in not only is it, it's not just redfish yeah. out there yeah that's yeah. scary um yeah there was a couple times actually looking for them like the following week i had like five six foot sharks like following I, they were following the kayak um you know guys seeing like 10 12 foot hammerheads hanging out like there's just when all that's going on if the drummer that fired up and there's that much bait there's a lot of big fish in there. <laughs> you definitely, definitely don't want to go swimming. A lot of blood in the water. Uh, so, yeah. it, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can kind of get on those drum once they get there, like all summer off the beach, right? You can kind of stay on them from one, once they show up until they push in the sound. Um, or is there like a for hot the most window? part? There's like there's definitely a good window, and like I said, it depends on when they show up. But it's and it depends on the weather. Like as long as there's bait, um, they're gonna hang out. And once that bait starts moving, especially like once the water warms up and gets warmer, like they kind of had, you know, go up into the Chesapeake Bay or go into the Pamico Sound and then they stay in the sound all year. If you, you know, guys that have them dialed, like once they find them, they kind of have a typical pattern. It's like, oh, I can find them in this area. Like, you know, they'll find them one day, they'll go back the next day, just they'll patrol miles, you know, just sit in the tower, just slow riding up the shoals and stuff looking for them. And they'll typically keep popping in the same area, uh, sometimes even like same time of day over and over. Yeah. Um, but in the ocean, it's a little different. There are fish up like off Oregon Inlet that, well, I guess like Redanthe to Nags Head is a pretty big zone. Yeah. But they do like take up residency out in the ocean throughout the summer, especially in like August. But um, you got to put in a lot of time to find them out there. It's It's definitely... Not that the sound is really easier, but maybe the at least it's it contained. The ocean. <laughs> yeah. It's a smaller ocean. Yeah, it's ocean. a little more contained. The ocean is, uh, yeah, it's mostly just the the guys running charters who are out there like every day who end up getting on them. Yeah, um, just stumbling into that yeah, chance. It, it's one. It's funny, like that video you were talking about that I shared. It's got like six point something million views on Facebook, and. Uh, there was a lot of people, even fishermen in like Florida or wherever else that uh, were really taken back by that big, that big a school of big red drum. And I was like, that's like a common thing up here. Yeah. Like that's not even weird. Like that's pretty kind of, I mean, it's for them to be boiling like that is special, but you know, I know t- dozens of guys that that's what they do th- throughout the summer is like when it's pretty and calm, they go look for big schools and it isn't just like bait fishing like that's an easier way to target them in certain spots, but they are like, I'm going to go find and put my clients in a position to stare at three, 500 fish and just cast into them. Right. Like, it's pretty cool. People, yeah. People do not realize the red fishery that North Carolina is, especially for the bull redfish. And you know, the, yeah. I guess one of the things is it's, you know, maybe not as much protected water cause you got to fish from the ocean. So it, but it's just the Outer Banks is just kind of a little hidden gem when it comes to fishing. I mean, people know about it from our area, but as far as like Florida and Louisiana and Texas and and all that, a lot of people yeah. don't really realize, you know, the potential that that area has, the Pamlico Sound, and um, you know, just off the coast there. But it's uh, it's it's crazy. And the world record in the world record drum from Avon, world record redfish. Yeah, would you yeah, remember what they that, that is? Okay. What the weight is on it? It's ninety something pounds, it. right? I think it's nine. I think it's ninety three. Ninety three. Yeah. What's the biggest one that you've laid eyes on a picture of, or, or like someone that your friend caught caught you know a drama? Oh gosh. 
I mean, I don't know. Like most of the time when the guys catch them out, the biggest ones I've seen have 100% been out at Cape Point. Um, I don't know why, but yeah. in the spring, that those fish that hit Cape Point, it's weird. You'll go through cycles like some nights or some days. It's like it's a bunch of like 30, like upper 30s to low 40s fish, 40 inches, and then you'll get a night where like it's mostly mid 40 something like that's the average to like guys are catching like 50 to 55 inch fish like just huge heads like yeah God. i mean that was probably an exaggeration but no i, I, but no, I, get you. I think um, someone said there was one i think that was 56 inches with a a 33 inch girth golly it was massive I mean, it was huge. That was that was this spring. And to catch that uh, yeah. with your feet in the sand, surf fishing. Yeah, with your feet in the sand is like, that's, so cool. I don't, I, I like get after it a little bit just because I love being able to do it. But it gets so packed out there, and you got guys that are just like that's their thing. And so, I'm kind of one of those guys that's like, yeah, I like to do this, but I'm not, I'm not gonna make that my thing. So like, I if they're slaying them right here shoulder to shoulder i go over here and just hope that i get like a random one <laughs> but uh it's definitely you gotta you gotta be able to you know throw a big rod and eight ounces super far and you can see it um there was one night the one night i caught one this year from the beach uh there's this group of high schoolers from up here that have like gotten so dialed on it and they were down the beach from me and my, my family and they they walked by and i was I uh, was telling my wife about him and I couldn't tell who it was cause I was looking into the sunset, but I watched one of them cast and he went so far outside the bar, like crazy far. And I looked at my wife, I was like, guarantee he hooks up in the next three minutes and boom, he was on like Golly. you. So that's the difference. I mean, there are those nights where like, you know, anyone that can cast a rod 60 feet will catch one, but those nights are super rare and you have to be there. Like, that 45 minutes that the bite's on but if you can throw a heaver and you're skilled in that then like you can go and whack them but you just got to put in the time those guys put in so much time yeah for it's sure. pretty rare it's super cool I, i'd love to do it I'm, I'm always so jealous when i talk to anybody that gets to fish up there or lives up there because it's just such a the outer banks is just in cape hatteras area is just such a cool culture anyways and um I've heard great stories of, of you know, that area, fishing big red fish in that area that, honestly, I'd be nervous. I feel like you, you do the make the wrong move there and, and people don't like it real quick <laughs> when you're fishing the point, I've heard. But um, I can't say from experience. Oh, yeah. But. Oh, no. Don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm like, hesitant, hesitant to even, like, cast amongst those guys because I look at it the same as I do surfing. It's like, when, it, when the waves are pumping – and you have like that crew of guys that's on the peak at the lighthouse who's grown up surfing the lighthouse and like that's all they want is to surf there at its best. If you're like, not even necessarily, I mean, if you're an outsider especially, but even if you're like a local guy who just isn't part of that except that one time it's good, you better not be paddling in there to try and like pick off set waves with those guys. Right. So I look at fishing the same way. I'm like, it's all it's all time right now like this is their thing like i'm not gonna go squeeze in with that like i don't want to be the the person who like because i'm not as accurate throwing like an 11 foot 12 foot rod right and so i don't want to be the guy that like you know maybe i just botched the cast a little bit and land you know it's it's really a dance like everyone uses mono you have to because you're crossing all these lines like when someone hooks up it's like this over under over like trying to figure out who you're over because the fish is going in the current with the point that's like coming around the shoals and so when you hook up you're you have to then navigate through the entire crowd and it's definitely nerve-wracking because you know maybe a guy just made like the perfect cast and then you don't want to be that that guy who like tangles up with him and pulls him in and he has to do it again. Like you're, yeah. you could be costing that guy his fish. He's been waiting all year for. Yeah. So <laughs> tensions are definitely high. Gives me anxiety the, the just thinking about on, it. Yeah. The nights that it's on and those guys are whipping in like 10 to 12 fish each or more then like it's good vibes. Like, cause everyone's getting their share and like, they're like, yeah, get in here. Like get yeah. one. Um, but yeah, mo most of the time, anytime it's like kind of average and you got to be the, really good at it to pull it off then yeah you better know what you're doing and <laughs> put in some time because 
they are not going to be stoked if you're <laughs> yeah, stepping on toes, messing them up. Man, that's crazy. So let's talk. Let's we're we're almost at an hour here, but let's talk a little bit about you know the jet ski fishing that you've done. I think I think for so many people that are looking for you know more than a kayak, but not quite a boat, and and I think even more so like kind of. In, in that area of the Outer Banks and the Chesapeake Bay and Virginia and where you can, you're doing sight, you're, you're sight fishing, but you can't afford, you know, a big tower boat, but you need to be able to get around yeah. a jet ski is such a good option. I mean, inshore, I feel like a jet ski could be a little tougher, you know, cause you're drifting. You don't have a great way of like sitting still, but, um, kind of break down you know, what you've been able to do on the jet ski up there. Yeah, inshore, the jet ski is definitely a lot harder. Um, especially with the intake, you're the way you're, you know, running through grass flats and stuff, or even just getting up in there shallow and then not really having a good way to get out. Because yeah. every time you're sucking sand up through the impeller, you're like chewing the blades up and shrinking them. So you, it's just, it's hard. Yeah. And not to mention it's loud. Like it's definitely louder than like a quiet four stroke outboard. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I mean, maybe if you put a trolling motor on it, but that's pretty funny. (laughs) funny. Um, I bet we'll see that in the future, though, a trolling motor for jet skis. (laughs) I mean, whatever. Like, if you got a trolling motor on the boat, if your main vessel's a jet ski, like... Might as well. It would work. But, but no, uh, it definitely... It's... Once you have it, it's so cost-efficient. I mean, for, like... I forget. Mine's been broke for almost two years now. Um... But I want to say I could fill it up for like 35, 40 bucks years ago. And that's including extra gas because I would take extra gas with me if I was going long runs. Like say I was going to run from from Teachers Lair Marine and Hatteras out the inlet, up the South Beach and up to like Avon or something, the Cobia fish. Uh, I would have to take extra gas. Or if I was going offshore, I would go offshore in it six, eight, ten. I think 10 miles from the beach was like the furthest I went like just out of sight of land (laughs) which was kind of nerve-wracking the first time but um so for 40 bucks i'm going like after the purchase for 40 bucks a day and you're not even necessarily using all of it but that's to like have enough to be able to go wherever you want and come home you know i was going and trolling for mahi i hooked a couple sailfish from it never landed one because i had like these old pin senators that were my dad's Uh my granddad's um Cause my dad and my uncle actually used to commercial fish for King mackerel. Like they did construction, they ran a construction business and then on the side they would commercial fish for Kings. And so I'm using these like old reels and rods from the eighties, like Kingfish reels or rods from the eighties. And, uh, just wasn't exactly ideal sailfish tackle. Like the drags are like just surging, like seize up, seize up. And like, um, but yeah, I mean, getting to do this like pelagic fishing at a pretty good price and then being able to like go and target cobia and like especially at the time you know i had my son was two to three to four to five and my daughter came into the picture and surfing in 2017 was like my busiest time of surfing i've ever had uh i definitely didn't get a ton of opportunities to go but then i think Every time I've taken it, yeah, there hasn't been a time I've taken it offshore and not caught at least like one nice dolphin or a kingfish or something. Yeah. And um, it's funny, like, because you can't necessarily go out to the Gulf Stream where like the fleet's going, but we still have really good fishing within. I mean, I was like bailing dolphin off my ski in like 50 feet of water, Mm. like inside inside of land. which was really cool. That was like one of the yeah. raddest things. I mean, I've, I caught gaffers off it, which was feeling like almost the most accomplishing to me. Yeah. Uh, being it like having a fish big enough, I had to gaff it on the ski. It was just, that was pretty rad. That's super but cool. bailing the, the, uh, or bailing the bailers. I was like, I was trolling and I had a double header and I reel them in. And as I land the one fish, I had to use a net because I don't have like a deck. <laughs> right. So like, you got a, a small footwell, and that's it. So I have to net the small fish, pull them out the net, put them in the cooler, and then I could like grab the other rod or put the bait back out. And when I went to grab the other rod, I looked and there's like 25, 30 dolphin just following my ski. So I just idled around for probably like 45 minutes. And I just like hook one, 
put in the rod holder, hook another one, land the first one, put it back out, hook one, then land the <laughs> other one, and just kept doing it until I, f- I wasn't even sure. I was kind of like, oh, I haven't been counting. I hope I have a limit. And so I stopped and counted, and I was like one shy of a limit, and I looked up and they were gone. But yeah, I mean, honestly, there's even times where they're in closer. Like in the summertime when it gets really hot, I mean, you'll find them a mile offshore, like pretty days, late June. I mean, this year might be different because it seems like the water temp has stayed cooler than the previous five years, but June, July, even into August, when our water's getting up into like the eight, hits 80 on the beach, those fish on a good day aren't that far out. Yeah. So it's pretty rad. I mean, there you can definitely target big drum, cobia. You know, I trolled for Spanish off of it a bunch. Uh-huh. I would just run out the inlet put two planers out and just go around and load up on Spanish and go home. Like yeah. it's such a, a fun way to fish. I haven't, I mean, I drifted flats and did catch puppy drum and stuff on it with my son. So I wouldn't say it's like totally useless inshore. Um, you definitely don't want to be going up any like, you know, areas, shallow muddy areas, the oyster beds and stuff. But if you got a grass flat where you can go drift, like, you know, all you're doing is drifting in the wind then run wide and run back up and do it again. Yeah. And, uh, we just throw gold spoons, me and my son and like hooking up. I mean, it's pretty rad. That's super cool, man. It's uh, what a good option too, for, you know, maybe, uh, a guy who's married and has kids or something. He can take the kids out to play on the jet ski, you know, on a nice day. And then if they're vacationing down in the outer banks, they can, they can take the ski out and go do some offshore fishing, you know, well, near shore fishing up there. Yeah, uh, for for not too much money. I mean, even a jet ski, it's they're not cheap, but you can get into a jet ski for for a pretty good price, um, and an unreliable jet ski for next to nothing. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, a close to broken yeah. jet ski. <laughs> I I would say you could probably get into like a reliable jet ski to go the distance for cheaper and more affordable than you could like a reliable boat to go the distance. Yeah. Um, as far as like when you're thinking of like going off the beach. Definitely. Uh, you can take your kids tubing you can, off of it. You can go do yeah. a lot of stuff. Go it's jump waves more, in the inlet. <laughs> yeah, it's more versatile. Yeah. I never did the waves thing. That that doesn't resonate with me. <laughs> <laughs> do but, big uh, airs on a surfboard, but you get a heavy jet ski under you and it's it's a little bit, a little bit different. It's just not that fun. Yeah, I hear ya. Um, you. Get beat. That's the one thing about the ski is like, you get so beat up. Like, because... I mean, you get beat up on a boat when it's choppy, but you get soaked on a jet ski when it's choppy. Yeah. And you're just like, every single chop is just like, yeah, in the face, straight to, straight to the dome. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're not trying to make dry riding jet skis. Like, that's half the fun no. is, is, is getting sprayed, I guess. But, but not uh, when you're trying to fish and you've got all your gear right there just getting covered in salt water. You're like, oh, no. <laughs> but what's nice is like you can get through especially we have a our Hatteras inlet is gnarly especially well even especially for big vessels but even for small vessels it's super shallow you're dealing with shoals everywhere there is no like clean cut like oh yeah you go this way right um sometimes but that's pretty rare and so on the ski it's no worry like you don't have to i have guys from nags head like when they're coming down to cobia fish to like at the start of the season they're like hey how's the inlet you know where the cuts are and on the ski it's like it doesn't even matter you just make the turn and and go through as long as it's not like a one foot deep sandbar right you can break through anything and so it takes that whole issue out of like oh well conditions are like you know I'm not sure about getting across the bar and this and that. Like you can definitely, you know, I don't know. I feel like to me, it seems, it almost seems like less worrisome in a sense. But, yeah, for uh, sure. Well, and it's like a jet ski. You strap your rods and stuff down and you roll a jet ski over. You just roll it back. You can roll it back over and, and take off. You know, it's not like you don't, you don't want to do that. <laughs> no, you don't want to, but, but it's, it's not as bad as a boat for sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, man, I've seen I've seen some, you know, boats sink and stuff in the inlet or out on the shoals or whatever. And the ski is like even, even when you get in that, say like you're you're hunting up like out on the shoals, you're like following a cobia, and out there, you know, you got waves coming from both ways. Like you can't let your guard down, even no, no matter what. But at least on the ski, which I had it happen once or twice, where you're just like focused, like following something, and all of a sudden there's a wave behind you. You have the horsepower and the maneuverability just boom pin the throttle and you're fine like right. you're out of there whereas with a boat 
I mean, you can't really go into those situations if you aren't super seasoned. Yeah. Uh, so not that I like encourage anyone putting themselves in situations <laughs> no. above their head. I'm just saying like those situations happen. And at least on the ski, you have like the horsepower and the maneuverability to get Definitely. out of them pretty quick. Even, even trolling, um, there was like one or two times I was trolling for dolphin offshore and it, it was like super nice. And then I get out there and realize there's this North swell that I had been riding with the whole time out that was colliding with some little South wind swell coming in. So once I went to turn around, it was like super gnarly. I was trolling and like one wave from the South would lift me up. And because the ski is so short, you're like then nose diving into the next one. And, uh, there was like, I think one or two times where I'm like, I turn around and I start going and like that happened and you just gas it and you're going to drive through it. And after it happened, I think the second time I was like, I'm out of here. Like this is, <laughs> it was weird. It like looked pretty, but the current and the swell was just colliding in a way that like I couldn't tell as I headed out. Right. And so I was just like, I'm out, I'm out of here. But like on a plane or like idling or whatever you're or not idling, but like on a plane or just riding, you're fine. It's really in those small, those instances where you're not moving, um, that things get weird. But I would have said in a small, like, it, like say you're trying to go offshore in a skiff or something. In a situation like that, you'd have been screwed. Yeah, definitely. And so, yeah, and I, you know, you were safe fine. on the ski. Um, do you have a hack for not having to just barely hold the throttle down with your thumb all day when you're trolling, or do you just rubber go for band. It? rubber band? Two, two rubber bands. I, I had it uh, dialed for trolling, like I. Would put, if I put one on there, it wouldn't hold it tight enough. So I'd fold it in half so it was tighter. I would, you had to put it at a certain point because you don't want it to pin. You don't want it to accidentally pin the <laughs> throttle, off. Um, which I did have it happen once or twice where the rubber band's on there, and then my hand hits it and it just takes off and starts going. And you got like, so it's basically you got to keep your once you get it set, you keep your hand away from it. Yeah. Um, I mean, newer skis nowadays have like cruise control. <laughs> oh, which really? Is wild. I didn't even um, know that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know all brands. I know uh, some of the Sea-Doo ones do. It That's has cool. like a like a a cruising speed. Yeah, a cruise yeah. control. But like, you can set it. It only works. At, you can't set it at that. Like, it's not like a car. You can't go fifty and set it on cruise control. <laughs> um, but at low speeds, you can set it. Yeah. So, but with mine, I would do a rubber band over the throttle, and then just pull it just a little to where I'd get it like seven, eight miles an hour. What it was reading on the dash. And then that was like ideal for pulling plugs. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and then I would do like ten to twelve for pulling planers for Spanish. Yeah, God, that's that's super cool. It's got me like wanting to get a jet ski <laughs> to do some fishing <laughs> off a jet ski. I definitely don't. I don't. I don't need one, but that'd be cool. Oh, well, sweet man. Is there anything else? Well, actually, first off, tell people like because you, you create such amazing uh, surfing content, but a lot of fishing stuff mixed in there. So how can people like I've got on here. So if people are watching this, they're going to see your Instagram handle, but tell people where they can find you online and, and check out your content. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the main two I focus on is Instagram. Um, anything current event is going up there. And then on YouTube, I run a YouTube like vlog series and every week I'm uploading. I try and keep it current, but Sometimes it's like a video from like two or three weeks ago, depending on how much is going on. But that's just, sorry, that's just <laughs> at Brett Marley as well. Okay. So if you look up, look me up on YouTube, follow on there and weekly adventures, whether it's surfing, fishing, whatever, um, you can find that drum video we were talking about. It's, uh, what's it called? Hundreds of red drums swarm my kayak. Good and title. I, like I actually, I shot it with, the GoPro Max, which is a 360 cam. That's how I was able to like rotate the camera around. Like as you see, like the the there's clips uh, in slow motion of the drum like chasing Minhaden and eating them. That was happening like actually behind me that I didn't see, but since it was shooting 360, it got him. Um, but I plan I might actually upload it this week. I'm gonna uh, put up the full 360 file so that you could just rotate it around and watch like, everything like you were there. So that's cool. Um, yeah, always uploading content every week. Sweet. Well, yeah, guys, go check him out. And uh, hopefully, me and Brett have talked for a couple of years now about fishing together, either up there or down here. We got to make it happen. We'll do a little video together or something. So, <laughs> yeah, I would once, I mean, things are just kicking off. Like the, the inshore fishing for drum and trout and stuff is like in the last two weeks really just popped compared to 
the rest of the spring. So yeah. once I, uh, especially if I find them up shallow, but if I find any schools, you have to get up here. <laughs> Definitely. If you, if you get on it and you're like, we need a polling skiff, call me. I'm on the way. Yeah. Unless it's I'll like wait. around like a, within a month of when my, you know, our baby comes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then I'll be, yeah, I'll be here. But if I can do like a, a day trip and a night, we'll, we'll, we'll make it happen. It'll be super fun. Yeah. Uh, sure. are, are you surfing this is kind of a personal question but are you surfing is that tournament going on down or that competition going on down here this year out of Wrightsville Beach will you be down here um no okay. it as far as I know it's been can't everything that because it was put on by O'Neill every year uh-huh. and due to COVID-19 like all of their events have been canceled gotcha. just for budget purposes so yeah, yeah. well cool um but I might come down there to fish anyway. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. We'll uh, we'll make it happen. Well, man, thanks for thanks for coming on here. I know people are gonna love this podcast. I'm gonna jump back onto my screen and close us off, guys. Thanks for uh, listening to this podcast. Like I said, go check out Brett on Instagram and YouTube. In- incredible content. Um, I-, I I watch about five people regularly on YouTube, and Brett's one of them. Really entertaining stuff, and um, he's just got the best of both worlds with the surfing and fishing up there. Um, but yeah, thanks thanks for checking it out, and uh, and we'll see y'all in the next episode later.